This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Jesus said, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. The South Carolina courtroom is packed as the crowd waits noisily for the bond hearing to begin. The accused killer, a young white man, stands expressionless in an orange jumpsuit next to the bailiff, his hands cuffed behind his back. As the judge enters, the courtroom comes to order, and after a few preliminaries, he announces that the families of those murdered by the accused have asked to be heard. This news quiets the crowd as the first family member an African-American woman by the name of Nadine Collier comes forward. She is the adult daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, one of the nine innocent parishioners murdered that grim evening in Charleston. After taking a moment to pull herself together at the podium, Ms. Collier looks the young, disheveled white man in the eyes and says, I forgive you. Her voice breaking with emotion, she adds, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to my mother again. I will never ever hold her again. But I have to forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. I'm sure you remember the despicable crime. One summer evening several years ago, Dylan Roof, 21 at the time, casually joined a group of African Americans at Mother Emanuel AME Church for a Bible study. For over an hour, 
Roof participated in the discussion, and then, without warning, he stood up armed with a handgun and commenced firing. At the end of the rampage, nine people were dead, including the 42-year-old pastor of the church. Later in custody, Mr. Roof blandly admitted to the killings and explained that his purpose was to foment a race war in the United States. In a journal entry made some weeks after the murders, he wrote, quote, I would like to make it crystal clear I do not regret what I did. I am not sorry. I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed, end quote. Now, as a pastor, I'm well aware of Jesus' insistence that we love our enemies and forgive them, as we hear in today's gospel. And I often have preached sermons on this message. Even so, what Nadine Collier and her family and friends did that day takes my breath away. I'm quite sure I could not have done it. I can understand how Joseph in our Old Testament lesson forgave his brothers. Yes, Joseph had every reason to be furious at them. Out of jealousy, Joseph's brothers had beaten him up, left him for dead, and then sold him into slavery, essentially abandoning, abandoning him to a foreign enemy. But years later, after the tables had turned on the brothers and Joseph was now in charge, they came to him seeking forgiveness. In that context, I get it. To forgive your own flesh and blood when they genuinely are repentant, that kind of forgiveness seems humanly possible. But what the Mother Emanuel families did, their mercy seems otherworldly to me. And in fact, I'm quite sure it was. What is important about the example of the Mother Emanuel families is not primarily whether Mr. Roof receives final absolution. That is between God and his soul. Rather, what is important is how these families gave public witness to a way of life. That the only way to renew the human community Mr. Roof sought to kill is by refusing to be drawn in by his hatred. These families showed a whole nation that love conquers hate by declining to participate in it. We practice forgiveness because the cross teaches us that such love, an unsentimental and tough love, is the only hope for breaking out of the patterns of violence to which we are enslaved. The world, you see, encourages us to live in an economy of exchange. You do this for me, and I do that for you. You hurt me, and I hurt you, an eye for an eye. The trouble with such a perspective, of course, is that it leads nowhere. You know the old saying, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Christ, on the other hand, invites us to leave the economy of exchange behind and instead to live in an economy of grace.
Love not only your friend, not only your neighbor, but even your enemy. And likewise, offer forgiveness freely and repeatedly, not because someone deserves it, but because living into God's mercy is the only way to break the stranglehold of bitterness and resentment in our lives. Now, none of this, I hasten to add, is to say that all hurts and all perpetrators should be immediately forgiven. That's not what Jesus is teaching. On the contrary, the path toward reconciliation is as complex as the web of our relationships and the human capacity to destroy them. To be a forgiving Christian does not mean we have to be doormats. We should read Jesus' words this week about the need to forgive and to keep forgiving right alongside his words elsewhere in the Gospels about the need for mutual accountability in community and the importance of constructively confronting one another when we stray and rupture community. Forgiveness, for the most part, is a long-term project. Often the most loving thing we can do for a destructive person is to first help them face the hurt they have caused and the pain of their victims. We don't counsel battered spouses to remain in destructive relationships because forgiveness requires it. Rather, we ensure the safety and dignity of innocent victims first, and only then explore the possibilities for redemption for the perpetrators. We live, you see, in a creative tension between justice on the one hand and mercy on the other. Now, I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers for how forgiveness can best be brought to bear on the myriad complexities of broken human relationships. There are times when we should be quick to forgive. And there are other times when we cheapen forgiveness by offering it too quickly. There are times when forgiveness heals and restores a broken relationships. Yet there are other times when the rupture in the relationship is just too severe where forgiveness may allow for everyone to get back on their own feet and recover some measure of wholeness, but where an old relationship is just no longer possible and not in everyone's best interests. Forgiveness in this broken world of ours is complicated, but we can say this much. We should always be moving toward forgiveness and the wholeness it brings, even as we are cautious about simplistic and easy offers of reprieve that fail to account for the flourishing of everyone involved. Now, during our Bible study this past Wednesday, by the way, it's a wonderful Bible study group, somebody asked the question, whether Jesus' teaching about forgiveness and love for enemies applies to nation states as well as to individuals? Well, that is a good and very complicated question. And I don't pretend to have the theological or philosophical chops necessary to offer a complete answer to it. 
but I am enough of a student of history to know that every now and then we see a glimpse of such a possibility. For example, those of you who know something about modern South African history or saw the great film Invictus will remember how Nelson Mandela changed the course of a nation through a bold and very public example of forgiveness. The movie recounts the events in South Africa in the mid-1990s, just after Mandela's election as the country's first black president. As Mandela assumed power, many white South Africans at that time, Afrikaner nationalists still committed to apartheid values, they braced themselves for payback under the new administration. And quite a few of Mandela's black supporters expected it too, as their due after decades of brutality under apartheid. But Mandela, counseled by Archbishop Tutu, knew that score settling would be both morally wrong and politically disastrous for a new and fragile democracy. So to the dismay of loyalists in his movement, Mandela elected not to exercise his new political muscle by striking back at his white oppressors. Instead, he treated them with dignity, starting with his refusal to dismiss the white members of the presidential staff and security detail, extending to his creation with Bishop Tutu of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission designed to bring whites and blacks together in confronting their past, and including his dramatic appeal to the all-white rugby team, the Spin Box, to represent the country in the 1995 World Rugby Cup. Each of these gestures by Mandela arose out of a very Christ-like appreciation for the power of forgiveness to restore human relationships in a political context. Now, to be sure, such moments in history rarely last for long, and South Africa's subsequent history has returned to the usual patterns of human corruption and sin not unlike those, I might add, that are currently infecting our own national political life. So maybe a political philosophy grounded in the core tenets of the Sermon on the Plain is ultimately unsustainable. I just don't know. Certainly, I think Martin Luther had his doubts whether nations could live into Christ's teachings. But whatever may be true for nation states, the church and all of us who belong to it must continue to give witness wherever we can to the power of forgiveness to heal and transform lives. I hope we're never asked to do what Nadine Collier did, but I pray that her example may inspire us to follow the lead of this morning's song, where it is written, do not be provoked by evildoers. Instead, put your trust in the Lord and do good.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.